broadcasting from a dark basement office. The FBI's most unwanted presents the X-Files podcast. Well, this is weird. Suddenly, you hear my voice. This is Josh, and I'm not alone, but Dean is not here. Dean is enjoying a well-deserved vacation after about eight years or so of of nonstop podcasting without more than a week off. And we are lucky to be joined by longtime listener, uh, co-producer slash, you know, OG great Carmelita. Carmelita, say hello. Hello, Josh. Hello, listeners. It's so good to be back. This is great. You all have heard Carmelita before. What what episode was that that you were on? Never again. Never again. Oh, of course. Of course. Yes. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yes, that was a um that was a a a Pick. Did you pick that one? I did or pick did we that one. Line? Oh yeah, yeah. And this is uh, this is just kind of like, hey, you've already you've proven your chops. And now you're just jumping into the next one along the line, and that is uh, that is zero sum. Oh, and it's mythology, which makes me very happy. Yes, this is uh, this is some pretty serious mythology, and uh, boy, I feel like I've said this a bunch of times over the last season or two, but. Um, I do not give mythology enough credit. It's so good at this point always, in the series. Oh man, it's so good. I always forget because I'm just so caught up in the fact that it gets so cumbersome and kind of overly wrapped and the late season shit is just yeah. so rough that you forget how good it gets throughout the show. And BP has always said like, really, the mythology is great. He says up until the first film. What do you think about that? Uh, I I think he's pretty spot on. I think after the first film, it starts to get a little sketchy. And the longer mm. the series goes on, those late, late seasons, I mean, it gets real convoluted. and really, yeah, it gets a little rough. Yeah, it gets a little bonkers, like in not a good way. <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing is, is when – so I watched The X-Files in the original run from the premiere, from the pilot. No shit. I did. And the thing that hooked me was the mythology. So in those early seasons, like following the mythology across the episodes, across the seasons, like that was the thing that made me first fall in love with the X-Files. That is cool. Yeah, I think I would guess most people, you know, there's not a lot of people I think that are neutral that would say like, I prefer Monster of the Week or I prefer um, or that 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 would say I like them both equal. I think most people would say they prefer one or the other, but I think the thing, whatever it is that hooks you, might be might be a part of that. And uh, if you jumped into the show at any point after the beginning, I think it's easier. Obviously, like Monster of the Week episodes are a lot more accessible. Oh yeah, right? you just sit down; it's one and done. Absolutely, and you know those Monster of the Week episodes, the tone they can kind of switch it up. You, so you can have some that are a little funnier or some that are more horror or some that are more, you know, th- they have a little more latitude to kind of switch it up. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the mythology pretty much, I mean, I'm kind of racking my ba- brain real quick and we're not doing this live. So nobody in the 
chat can correct me, BP, <laughs> none of the other super fans that know the show better than me. But I think you're, that's a good point. Like, I, all the mythology episodes kind of feel the same way, right? Yeah, there's, you know, some, there's some tension. There might be some, like, more dramatic emotional moments, but it's kind of got but, that yeah. cloak and dagger. Um, yeah, there's, it's just the tone is a little more consistent, at least in the earlier mythology. And it's always so serious. Yes. So serious. Yes, very serious. I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> like, obviously, appropriately so. And I think there's, you know, there's Monster of the Weeks and there's some that, there's a lot of episodes that kind of touch on the mythology, touch on, re- you know, recurring themes and long storylines, but aren't, like, really what you'd call a mythology episode where they might, you know, play with the tone a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, that's a good point. And um, on this episode, Zero Sum, it's funny when when I was looking, you know, well, what are we doing next? Um, you know, the zero sum, blah blah blah. The title of the episode doesn't cue anything. Like, just doesn't strike me quickly. Like so many right. episode titles do. But the episode itself, like as soon as I started, I was like, oh shit! Oh, this that, one that cold open is one of my favorites. It's fucking great. It's so good. Rest great. in peace, we'll, Jane we'll, Brody. <laughs> Jane Brody? <laughs> that that's That's the actress? Uh no, that's the name of the character oh, that died yeah, yeah. in the bathroom. She just wanted <laughs> to smoke, right. man. I get it. Yeah. She, she was a little rough around the edges, a huh? A little bit. Hey, when you're jonesing for nicotine, <laughs> when you you're a- sitting there fucking in a in a UPS shipping plant or yes. whatever. Yeah. You're going to you, get a little you, testy. You were, that's right. You were a smoker, right? Oh yeah, two Previously? packs a day for years. Holy shit. Yeah. How, how long have you been uh, smokeless? Oh, well, now I, I use an e-cigarette these days. Yeah, all right. That doesn't really count, right? So, I mean, there's nicotine in it, and I, I use it from the moment I wake up until the moment I go to sleep. So, <laughs> <laughs> I am actually about three or four months since I had a cigarette. Hey, look at you. Congratulations. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, tough. Yeah, I'm using – yeah, it is wicked tough. It became, I used to be a, a pretty heavy smoker, never like a consistent two pack a day, but there were certainly days when I would rip through that many. Yeah. But over the years, like recent years, I became much more like I would smoke when I drank, but I drink a good amount. Sure. And it's not like I had to get drunk. It was like one beer and I'm like, it's <laughs> cigarette time. But uh, yeah, I um, I started using these things. I actually learned it from some young kids oh. that I was in a training thing with. They call, they're called Zins. This sounds familiar, but I'm not sure. Enlightening. Yeah, it looks like a dip can. <gasps> oh, yeah. And they're these little pouches, these little white pouches. I've seen this. With fucking chemicals, and you stick them in your lip, and what could possibly go what wrong? Poss- you know, well, see, this wouldn't have helped our character here, Jane, because she was already chewing the gum. That's true. And she still That's needed true. to go have a smoke. Like, I, I get it. And, yeah. you know, she was taken from us too soon, but Jane died as she lived, and that's something. <laughs> on the John. On the John, with a cigarette in her John. mouth. <laughs> that is such a great scene. And, you know, the bees, the bees, we, I think the first, the first bee episode is, is the beginning of this season, Heronvoke, yep. right? Yeah. Right. And then the bees will become a pretty consistent thing and uh, obviously a huge part 
of the first X-Files movie. Yes. Yeah, the bees will be back. We're revisiting the bees and they and they will come back and it's it's a I think it's a great plot device. I, I don't know if you remember like back when there used to be all this hysteria about like African the the killer bees. Africanized honeybees. Yes, like the bees, bees are coming to kill you. <laughs> so I got Can I just say actually No, go for it. Now looking back, it really fucking bothers me. Like I've worked in agriculture for a while sure. and like gotten a little bit more into I'm no like bio warrior, but in general, like <laughs> you know, I'm kinda concerned about the You're planet more aware. and like people fucking it up. And we gotta stop killing bees. Yes. Agreed. And I think X Files did a, a, a huge disservice <laughs> to humanity. Actually, maybe two things. Maybe two things that mythology did. One is making people afraid of bees and wanting to like kill them. And two is somebody brought this up to me the other day. Maybe making people freak out about vaccines and oh, what the government might be doing with them. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to get too topical. No. But I mean, it's a thing but, that it comes up. It comes up. Yeah. 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 Well, here's the thing. I mean, I was already kind of freaked out about bees before this episode, before X-Files introduced it in Heron Vogue, because there's something about the swarming that that freaks me out. And so so for this episode to go hard on swarms of bees carrying smallpox, that's my worst nightmare. (laughs) It's very, very specific worst nightmare. That's really messed up. It's really messed up. It's bad. Yeah, the shot. There's a shot I used in the um, the Facebook post yeah. about this episode, which is such a fucking great shot. It's that top down Ugh. that poor teacher. It's so gnarly, just writhing on the ground. And yeah, it's CGI and like you know with with the the eye of twenty twenty. Fuck, 2022? Jesus. Oh, it's like science fiction. Um, yeah. You know, it It definitely doesn't... This 2022 is Soylent Green, by the way. Yeah, I know. That was kind of wild. It's kind of wild. Like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> We're old. <laughs> you know, it doesn't... You can tell it's like a digital effect. But to be honest, you can tell modern stuff's digital effects well, too. Yeah. And it's still... It holds up in that it looks good. And it is terrifying. And you just feel awful. Like, it's visceral visceral perfect the b- the bee yeah. attacks in this and then the aftermath the boils yeah like all, where yeah, everyone's like been stung oh yeah no, it's no. rough no 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 it's rough so i guess before we get I, there's there's a, there's a number of questions okay. i want to kind of throw out there just topics you know we'll talk about yeah. it you know we won't we won't deviate from our our normal uh normal routine that we've gotten into of just kind of meandering around topics about the episode but I have a very important question, and I figure there's no better time to ask it than when we are graced with a lady on the podcast. Hit me. And that is, who wore it better? <laughs> Mulder's Red Speedo or Walter Skinner's Tidy Whities? Don't put it to me like that of either <laughs> or. The people want to know. I Todd. can't choose. I really can't. Because <laughs> let me tell you, in my notes, this and this is a, an exact quote in my notes. I wrote Skinner in those briefs. Holy cannoli! <laughs> oh, there's a cannoli in there, all right? Yeah, Mitch Pileggi. Mitch Pileggi is a an attractive man. He was attractive then. He was in his mid forties when this 
when this came out and he was looking good. And let me tell you, I saw him at a con like, I think it was 2016 and he still looks good. So please, I, it's just a I different flavor. That, it's just a different flavor yeah. between him and, and Mulder. Is it like a legless Aragorn thing? What? I mean, it, it's different. No, no, it's no, no. Different. It's different because I don't do the legless thing. Aragorn, 100%. Right. Every day of the I week. I guess that's. Twice on Sunday. Right. Maybe it's an unfair thing to put at the at the at the foot of David Duchovny to compare him to to Legolas but just in the sense that <laughs> there is a a fairness and right. I don't want to call it a lack of masculinity because Mulder's still like you know he's yeah. masculine enough yeah. he's certainly a very good looking man but there is a ruggedness Oh, Skinner, Skinner is I mean, a man's man but especially the character that's a fucking yeah. man B B D E all the way. <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. And uh, a boy, marine, this episode, he's. Mm. I mean, just everything about the man just screams raw sex and yeah. authority. Yeah. I don't know. So you're not going to go on record. I'm not. I can't. Other? I can't choose. I'm sure that there are camps. I'm sure that there are some Skinner people and some Mulder people. I I really honestly can't choose. This is kind of like a maybe today I'm in the mood okay. for Skinner in the briefs. Maybe another day I'm in the mood for. <laughs> I'm I'm not I'm not going to commit. Variety is a spice of life, All right. and I'm not. Fair enough. Fair enough. I will say <laughs> that the particular choice of underwear, you know, doesn't doesn't do Mitch a lot of credit here. All no. right, tidy whities are just. It's a tough move. If he was in some like black boxer briefs. Sure. But I will say, I like the angle. Little bottom up. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of man standing over you. Oh no. No. It it's it's a it's a beautiful shot. <laughs> Let's all agree that it's a beautiful shot. And you know what? If anyone could get away with the Y fronts, white, tidy whiteies, <laughs> it's Skinner. Yeah. It's it's Skinner. Fair. That man can get away so, with it. Yeah, he can get he can get away with a lot. I think. I think so too. Um, he is kind of the man of the hour in this episode. So let's just let's just get right to him. I mean, this is, I guess maybe you would call the second Skinner episode, right? We had Avatar, correct? Yeah, which was the first episode we really got into into Skinner. Um, what do you what do you think about? I mean, I think you've already kind of said some things about him, but more instead of. You know, beyond just his raw sexuality, which we're we're in full agreement on, yes. But Skinner as a character, I mean, this is—we'll say it right up front. This is an episode with zero Gillian Anderson, zero Scully, and in the past, that's been a tough sell. So, how do you how do you feel that the episode holds up with the weight of it on on Skinner on Mitch Pelagi? Pelegi is an actor and on where this character is at at this point in the show. I think it was a happy, a happy accident. You know what I mean? That, that, you know, Julian Anderson was away filming a movie and so she couldn't be there. So they had to do something. And, and unlike an episode like three, <laughs> where everyone's kind of like, oh, uh. where is Scully? Please bring her back. Like this episode, Zero Sum, spending most of the episode with Skinner and everything that Mitch Pelleggi is doing with his, with his body language and, his, and with the dialogue, his delivery, 
I think it's awesome. I think, I, I think it was really nice to get another Skinner-centric episode to see him put in this really uncomfortable position and, and how he maneuvers that between yeah. what he's been asked to do by the cigarette-soaking man and then in trying to manage how he's going to deal with the information that Mulder has. Like, he is run ragged in this episode, the poor guy. And it does. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it just, it just doesn't stop right from the beginning. It's like, he is so fucked. <laughs> it is one of the most, you know, like this, the tension and the weight just builds and builds and builds it. Cause it feels at, at some point, once Mulder gets involved and it's pretty crazy that I thought I wrote down the time timestamp at some point, I think it's around like 14, 14 and a half minutes, 14 and a half minutes into this show is the first time you see one of the two main characters, yeah. as, as in Mulder. That's a fucking lot. Absolutely. And Un- unprecedented. Unprecedented. Because I think what's very different about this episode than Avatar, and I, I am kind of ripping off a, a comment I saw online, is the idea of, you know, with Avatar, it's Skinner-centric, but it's still like, it's our agents in, involved in it. Yeah. And here... Mulder is almost, from a story perspective, he's almost an antagonist in a way. Ooh, good point. Like if you, if you're again, not my point, <laughs> but it was that was the comment yeah. I read. No, but, but I was it's like, great. fuck, that's very interesting. It, because we never we never shift perspective to we're never really watching the episode from Mulder's perspective. Even when we have Mulder scenes, it feels. Which is crazy to say. It feels like he's a side character yeah. in this episode, absolutely. Because we're really watching this from Skinner's perspective, and Mulder is kind of. We know immediately that he's like he's going after, even though he doesn't know it. He's going after Skinner here, and that's that's kind of an extra hurdle for this episode. Like that's a, that's a pretty that's a big gamble, I guess is what you can call it. No, definitely it is. And and I and they pulled it off. They pulled it off yeah. beautifully. And I I love how, you know, this episode is not the first time that Mulder has has drawn a weapon on Skinner. Scully's done it too. Like <laughs> Skinner has been the under suspicion of wrongdoing or collaborating with this larger government conspiracy, he's been accused before. What I love about the way it's handled in this episode is that, you know, we know the deal that Skinner made. So we, we know why he's doing what he's doing. And yes, not, not right initially, not right initially, but even then, like, I think we've gotten to know Skinner well enough that we know if he's perpetrating this cover up, He's got a reason. Even if we don't initially know what that reason is, like, I'm not thinking Skinner's a bad guy. I'm thinking, what do they have on Skinner that he has to do this? Like, this is a man who's doing something he doesn't want to do, but he has to do. Yep. Yeah, that's a good point, because I think earlier in the show, there was a time when Skinner was, his loyalties were a lot more in question. Right. So even though... Still, there are times when he comes in conflict with the agents and 
um, their their goals. We don't really – at this point, I think we trust that he is a, a good actor. And I, I mean like in, in the terms of story sense, not as, right. as in a skilled actor. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, so you know that – you know, you're 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 immediately looking for like why why is he doing this? And and one thing I I just want to say, I love how long they take at the beginning beginning of this episode to show the length he's going through this cover up. Oh, it's so good. Step by step. Right? I mean, it is because basically it's right up until when Mulder enters 14 minutes in. The entire episode, minus the cold open, has been Skinner going through step by step by step to fucking eliminate evidence and, and you know, totally be part of this government cover-up. And I love how patient they are to, to show that, ah, I think you could you could have rushed that. You know, you could have done that in one sequence and kind of just almost montaged it. But I think it, it, it pays off by, like, adding the weight. Because you're almost – it's like you're almost – bought in right you're almost like you feel like you're implicated (laughs) along with the character by by how much he's going through yeah absolutely you implicated is the right word and i think too like we're seeing like the sweat on the man's brow like he is on the floor scrubbing the floor like all of these really all kind of the drudgery that goes into this cover-up all of like the hands-on cleanup and the look on his face as he's doing it, like, you can just see, like, this heaviness and this weariness, but also this determination, like, it has to be done. I just, I, I love I've it. I've had a few shitty few shitty jobs where I've had to, like, clean the fucking work bathrooms. Yeah, yeah. I've never been as, as thorough as Walter Skinner. <laughs> I mean, that guy cleans the fuck out of that restroom. <laughs> he did. He did. I don't know what cleaner he was using, that weird spray can, but yeah, he, <laughs> I mean, he was just in there and he cleaned the mirror. And I love that shot when he when he sprays the the cleaner on the mirror and then wipes it and you're looking at his face in the clean mirror and he's looking at himself and it's yeah. it's pretty obvious he's he's not pleased with the situation that he's finding himself in yeah maybe not pleased with himself no, right no no and it, you know what it kind of reminded me of the fact that they did this step by step it reminded me of movies like thief or like blowout you know where you're seeing every step of a job yeah wow you know that's fucking great it's cool yep yeah we missed everything except the um getting the gang together (laughs) since he's a lone actor but yeah it, it is like a it is almost like a heist kind of thing right yeah but what he goes through every step and it and it builds up to you know, that last scene when he, he goes to the police station, he swaps out the evidence. And then when he's confronted, right, by the, the cop who thinks he's Mulder. Mm. And that leads right into the meeting with Mulder. And that – so this whole conflict between Skinner and Mulder. So I want to ask you because it's – you know, you've, you've seen The X-Files so many times and watched it so much. Questions like this can be tough, but – can you remember or can you imagine when you first watched it, once Mulder gets involved, did you think Skinner was going to get away with it or did you think like Mulder's going to sniff him out? Oh, oh man. I'm trying to rack my brain to like the first time. Well, you know, I, initially, like I, one of the things that I love about the way that this 
episode is written is like, so when when Mulder comes to Skinner and says, talks about the files that he was able to get, there was copies of the files that Skinner had deleted. <laughs> yeah. And, and so it's like, at first I'm thinking Skinner might get away with it, especially because we've seen how thorough it appeared that he was. But this, the episode starts planting these little seeds of like, oh, this thing is going to go sideways. Because it's, it's little yeah. mistakes, little, um, little details that didn't come off quite right. Like the fact that there's another copy of the files and Mulder gets a hold of them. I'm like, oh, that's not good. But maybe, maybe, maybe he could still get away with it. And then the blood. Yeah. That there's yep. the blood the type an- is right. Anemia. Yeah, but she's anemic. A very simple detail. But it's like, I think once the blood thing happened, I was like, oh no. Mulder's gonna Mulder's gonna sniff this out. There's there's too many, mm. there's too many things now for Skulder for yeah. Mulder not to keep going. It is uh it's funny to find, like I said, you know, looking at Mulder in a way in this episode is kind of an antagonist, because I th- I think the show wants you to, and I think it's hard as a listener, or I'm sorry, as a viewer of the show, to kind of not want to root for Skinner to get away with it. And I think you're wanting that to happen. And I think, like you said, these things keep dropping and dropping and dropping, and that tension keeps building. And I think at some point, especially once the that photo, oh, like that surveillance photo. shot becomes involved, yeah, it's like this. It, I think at that point, in your gut, there's like an inevitability. Yeah. And the missing gun and the ballistics. And it just, that's the fucking weight that just builds and builds. And it, it's like, Oh God, it's just like, Oh my God, this is going to happen. And you, I think it's one of the things that's, that Skinner does so well between the writing and like Mitch Pelagi's performance of like, you almost, you just come to see in his face that he knows it's a matter of time. Yeah. And before the cat's out of the bag. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, he knows it's coming and I I love when when Skinner is confronted by Mulder gun drawn and it's just such a heartfelt moment even though it's like yeah, it's very tense, but I I love that for once <laughs> one of these conversations where Skinner's being accused like they have enough of a relationship now and he's been on their side enough times. He's proven himself, I think, in the previous situations that like when he says, if I lied to you, and then he corrects himself and said, I have lied to you. Yeah, that's a great, great line. And it's like, and you can see kind of this, you can kind of see what's happening between these, these two men that have to work so close together, but there's, you know, that power differential in Skinner being Mulder's boss and all of these situations that they get themselves into <laughs> all the times that Skinner's had to bail him out, all the times that they've suspected Skinner of being in cahoots with them. And it turns out he's not like, I love that in this moment, like Skinner knows the jig is up and he also knows that he has this very personal reason, uh, something that's personal to him, but that's even more personal to Mulder. And it's very, it comes to, it seems to come from a very genuine place when he lets him know what that reason is. Yeah. And it's enough for Mulder. And, and cause, cause you're right. He has the, the buy-in, right? Like as, as a character, Skinner has proven himself to Mulder enough that even in the face of 
evidence. Yeah. That hard evidence. You know, clear evidence. <laughs> hard evidence that, you know, I'm going to give this guy a chance. Yeah. Because that's when they go, they go together to the, the ballistics lab. Oh, yeah. It's to, great. The look on. That's a cool little thing, too. Yeah. Right? The look on Mitch Pelegi's face as Skinner when, when Mulder says to the tech that they found the gun in a sewer grate. Yeah, and the look because he's not—he's almost given himself up at that point. Yeah, and that—that is—that is is definitely a part of this. You know, we see it there, but we saw it before then. When basically, you know, because the other part of this, the other conflict, the other antagonist, obviously that we haven't mentioned yet, is a cigarette smoking man. Mm -hmm. And God, there's there's such there's such clear hatred between Skinner and and cigarette smoking man. And you can tell like this, like you said, that, that shot of Skinner looking in the mirror and that disgust he has at the actions he's having to take. It all comes out in his voice. Every fucking time we see him and we hear him talking to Skinner or talking to CSM. Absolutely. He fucking hates. He hates him. He hates that he's got him (laughs) over the barrel like this. And CSM seems to like, CSM like oh, he loves, it. loves it. He loves it. He's got this little <laughs> twinkle in his eye. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, it's borderline the happiest we've ever seen CSM. Oh yeah, he's so <laughs> smug about it. He's so smug. He's so. Oh god, he's he is perfectly hateable. Like man, what what a great fucking bad guy. Yeah, and at this point in the in the show, he is still like, yeah, he's he's extreme, but. Yep. It's still, I don't know, it still really works. As the series goes on, his character, it gets a little, I mean, I won't spoil it for people, but this is this yeah, is the golden I, age of CSM. Yeah, yes, but it's a great way to, you don't always have to make a villain, you know, it, there is a good writing tool to make a vi- villain a sympathetic character in a way to to show their motivations and show like, like I think a lot of actors have, have said like one of the best ways to, to play a villain is you have to, you know, you have to play it as if in your own mind, you're the hero of the story. Yeah, of course. Right. But I think you can also play a villain who's just straight up fucking evil. And yet (laughs) to make, make him so enjoyable to watch on screen that you still want to see him. Yeah, and the cigarette smoking man is that character. And I I think it comes across as, you know, he's he's watched presidents die. This guy is so desensitized <laughs> to murder and lying. Like he doesn't give a shit. It's, it's just another shit. one. It's a drop in the bucket to him. And and that's that scene when we when we get that showdown between CSM and and Skinner. I mean, fucking talk about big dick energy. Yeah. Like, and, and you believe it, right? When, yeah. when CSM says, I'm not afraid to die. This isn't the, this isn't the first time, and I'm paraphrasing some of it, but like, this isn't the first time I've had a gun pointed at me. Like, yeah, I, I believe it. hundred percent. I mean, we've seen it. <laughs> yes. We've seen multiple guns in this guy's face. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, and you know, I, I think this episode too does the cool thing of we, we contrast CSM in his conversations with Skinner where he's just so he's just so in control of what's happening and then we get the scenes of CSM talking to the members of the syndicate 
And he's still trying to do that calm in control thing. But these people call the shots. Yeah. Yep. And he's being questioned. It's nice to see that. Yep. It's nice to see that him on the other side of the power dynamic a little bit. Yeah. I always love when they do that. And I, there's a, there's a line that CSM says to Skinner in the parking garage. He says, a man digs a hole, he risks falling into it. And I love that, you know, he can dole out that kind of advice, but he can't take it. And he should, because the syndicate calls the shots and the syndicate told you to handle it. And you didn't really handle it all that well. That's a great point. And that is, that line applies to his own character equally, if not more than it does to, to Skinner. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And boy, the payoff when we get that, like, kind of POV looking at Skinner holding the gun and he fires three times. Yeah. And I remember, like, I definitely, the first time I watched that, I was like, he just fucking smoked the CSM. Holy shit. Yeah. And because it, it's a long, long beat of like the three shots holding on him, lowering the gun, Skinner walking out of the room until finally we get the other angle and we see CSM. And maybe for the first time in the show, you really see him fucking rattle. He was shook. Because, hey, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you can be, I'm not afraid to die, but three rounds rip past your head at point blank range. Like, yeah, you're going to be a little rattled. Oh, yeah. Point blank range indoors. Yeah. <laughs> we don't get the, the tinnitus that he's clearly going to be suffering right. from but, at that point. I mean, just you can just imagine, like, at that, yeah, to have the weapon drawn on you that close and for them to fire... I mean, like, yeah, that's, yeah, you're going to shit yourself a little bit. Let's be yeah. real. It's it's a good, um, it is a good play in the episode, like it, almost, almost a nod to the, to the viewer, like the satisfaction because, you know, the, the smugness of CSM and how in control he is, the, those two moments of, of Skinner firing the weapon right by him and then him with the, the syndicate, it's kind of like a okay, like gives the viewer a little something because as much as he's enjoyable to watch, you fucking hate him so much, yeah. and it is kind of rewarding to see him to see him shook. Absolutely, bit. absolutely, especially with what he's just put Skinner through because we love Skinner by this point in the series. He's proven yeah. himself to us, and we're we know he's a good man, and that he's doing this. He's putting himself, his reputation, his career, his life on the line to help. Scully and Mulder and yep. you know so yeah like CSM is evil <laughs> we want we, it's Fucking good to see pure. him rattled it's good to see him rattled yeah and and it is kind of I think it's kind of like the that is the like the pressure relief valve blowing off of the tension that's been building up every moment of this episode it's like finally you know Skinner's kind of been vindicated in the eyes of people looking for him, most especially, you know, from a personal point of the audience involvement from, from Mulder's perspective. But finally, like those three shots are kind of what like releases that final tension. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. So I want to also ask you about, so one other character we get involved in, in this one, Miss, Miss Marita, I never say this name right. Kova, Kova Rubius? That's good. Kova Rubius? Yeah, you Kova did Rubius. it. Kova Rubius. Something like that. Yeah. Kova, Kova Rubius. Rubius. Um, 
I feel like a lot of viewers don't like Marita. Really? I yeah. I mean, I feel like there's been on Facebook posts, like in our our show in particular. What's your take? Do you how do you how do you view her? Oh, I mean, I I kind of like her. I think maybe she's got that femme fatale thing going on. She totally. she reminds me of a character in like an old noir movie. That like husky oh, voice. Yeah. And yes. the way she styles her hair is it is 90s but it's got like a hint of that like that retro look to it. I don't know. And she's she's been helpful in the past, but her loyalties are murky. And I think she's a really interesting character. She's not my favorite side character, but I No. There's something there's something about the way she plays it that I I just I I do kind of like when she pops up and you're just <laughs> she I like too that she's obviously a very attractive woman. Like there's no way around that. Oh yeah, I had noticed. Yeah. I don't really, there's no, I don't really pick up on that. <laughs> no way around it. But I like that like it's never like that's never the reason why she's on the screen necessarily. Like we always until, you know, maybe later we'll see more of her, but at this point in the series, you know, she's in a professional capacity. And yes. and she's acting like a professional. And she's in this episode, asking a lot of really direct questions in the middle of a hospital. <laughs> like, oh, shit. Yeah. Really blunt questions that like, okay, maybe some discretion. But, you mm. know, she's she comes across as very professional. And, you know, by the end of this episode, we, you know, we definitely have reason to question what she's up to. Yeah, I think for the first time, right? Yeah. I mean, not that, I mean, I, I think most people watching the X-Files tend to, you know, if if you're watching, paying attention to the the credits, trust no, trust one. no one. So maybe you have, maybe you have suspicions. But in general, up till now, we haven't directly. She has been a, you know, nothing but helpful right. to to Mulder, right? Right. Particularly, and has um, kind of played like, you know, she'll have a little piece of information here, a little piece of information there. But in the past, it, she never came across as like having some like deeper knowledge yep which by the end of this episode when we catch her on the line with csm like she clearly is more involved yeah very directly involved and i I just want to go back to what you said because i that's so fucking great because if you if you'd asked me i think i would have compared her to like a a a character in a bond movie Mm. yeah similar. i actually think how but i think how you put it is much better because i think you know the the femme fatales in a Bond movie are always super sexualized. Oh yeah, they're topless. Rolling <laughs> around with James Bond. Yes, we we're, we're banging by the middle of the second yeah. act. So, yeah, she's she's getting down, um, and and like she is clearly. I mean, she's a fucking smoke show. Oh and, yeah, and not just physically attractive, but she's so sultry and like yeah. There's there's a lot about her, but. She is so professional. I love that how you put it as more of like a, a film noir. I can totally see this character walking into the detective's office yes. in the fucking black and white movie. That is much more like who this character is. Yeah, I mean I can. I can I she's she's got that feel to her, the way she carries herself. 
and yep. and the way she speaks and and the way she's styled, like all of it, like that's kind of what she yeah. reminds me of. Yeah, I always forget Dean. Dean has brought it up before. I I forget that she's like a a big actor in a few of the seasons of The Walking Dead. Yeah, because I think I've I've kind of eventually burned that movie or burned that show <laughs> out of my. Uh, <laughs> Because I got so, got so fucking, I got burned. I got burned by that oh, show. Oh yeah, you too, huh? Yeah. Oh, um, an, another side tangent um, about other shows. You mentioned that Jillian Anderson took had been taking the break to um, film a movie, mm-hmm. and I looked it up. It's called The Mighty. Yeah. And I have never fucking heard of this movie. I haven't either. I've, okay. <laughs> it's uh, check this out. Sharon Stone, okay. Gina Rowland, ha- Harry Dean Stanton, Kieran Culkin, fucking Macaulay's brother. Oh. Uh, James Gandolfini. I've never heard of this guy. What goddamn is this? Thing. It is a 1998 coming of age buddy comedy drama. <laughs> oh. Based oh, wow. on a book. It sounds pretty bad. <laughs> I read the. Uh, but now I need to know. Gross. It grossed two point seven million at the box office, so it really crushed it. Where is this thing streaming? Oh, oh, I have to rent it. Why? Uh, although it's got seventy five percent of Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, now so, I, ha- I have to know. I my curiosity. <laughs> very. I, I always look um, on Facebook. I always see your um, your double features. So I'm curious <laughs> if this one might pop up in the it, future. It just might. Yeah. Anyone who follows me on Twitter, or Letterboxd. Yeah. I, I watch a lot of movies. And, and this one, yeah, this one might have to, I might have to bite the bullet and rent it. I, I want to know what you think of it and i also want to know what movie you pair it with because i do think you generally do double features i right? usually do yeah i like that i'll keep I you like posted that. maybe i'll maybe i'll post it in our in our x-files podcast facebook group yes my official stay, review stay tuned listener <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else comes out of this episode wait on bated breath to hear about the mighty and i'm sure somebody <laughs> listening has seen this movie i'm sure Somebody's screaming at the radio right Someone's now. Someone's yeah, screaming. Sure. Someone's screaming. They're it like, might be somebody's favorite movie. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> they're fucking awesome. Someone's on the train or they're in their car on their way to work and they're just like yelling like, I've seen it. And and we want to hear, I want to hear from you. Go on the Facebook group. Yeah. Hit up hit up <laughs> the podcast on Twitter. Let us know what you think of The Mighty. I'm curious. So another kind of, uh, you can kind of look at it as, as a theme of this episode. I mean, I don't think it's really intended necessarily as such, but it's certainly there is the failure to cover up a conspiracy. Yeah. And I always think it's, it's like, I've always been into conspiracy theories, you know, just in terms of like entertainment wise. Yeah. I think they're just interesting. It's interesting shit. But at the end of the day, I can almost never buy into one, at least, at least one that is completely unproven. Because it is really, really fucking hard to cover shit up, right? Yeah. For for a couple reasons, and we kind of see both of it in this episode. You know, either there's too many people involved and somebody's going to fucking spill the beans. Or if there's not enough people, it's just so hard to, like you said, the little fucking details, no matter how good you are. 
the things that slip through the cracks. And we see, we really see two conspiracy cover-ups blown. I mean, it's kind of the same thing, but we see it from two different perspectives because we, th- we see Skinner get caught ultimately by Mulder. But then we also, you know, at the end of the episode, we see the bigger conspiracy get blown up, right? Yeah. D- despite CSM's effort, the fucking bees, the bees get through <laughs> and they fuck up that playground. Oh my Something God. Fierce. In spectacular fashion. This it's, it, there's it's really something <laughs> to see yeah. a swarm of bees carrying smallpox attack an entire playground of children that were just trying to enjoy their recess. <laughs> I love to like the first like you know like everybody feels bad for kids so like <laughs> you have to like ultimately like everybody's kind of getting hurt but the first kid that gets it you know they kind of have to like make him like a bully like he pushes oh, the yeah. kid out of the way. And then, so when he gets stung, you're kind of like, yeah, fuck that kid a little bit. I mean, bit. I don't want to jump ahead, uh, but I, I did toy with the idea of making the kid with the glasses that got pushed out of line. I, I toyed yeah. with the idea of making him my third star for this evening because <laughs> the little smile on his face when, when the kid, the line cutter gets stung is so good. That little kid's face oh, is I like, love it. Eh, eh, eh. <laughs> that's been a long time coming that's not the first time this kid has no. cut this this other kid off yeah yeah i think yeah, too, they make that <laughs> that scene gives me like some heavy <laughs> my girl vibes like oh shit when the glasses kid <laughs> is like on the ground i don't know why i'm laughing that's so wrong <laughs> and his little glasses are like in the sand and he's like flailing and the bees yeah and then you know the teacher ends up taking <laughs> taking the brunt of it, but yeah, yeah, because adults, you know, whatever. <laughs> Ultimately, eh, adults get killed. Yeah, it's fine. you know, it's fine as long as it's not a kid or a dog, right? To 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 the viewing audience. I'm so sick of dogs getting killed on screen. I can't take it anymore. Oh God! Don't even get me started. <laughs> Fucking. <laughs> I, I straight up have not watched movies because I know that happens. Yeah, like, it's meh. it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Um, but it is, I think one thing, you know, I, I said, I felt that Mulder getting to the bottom of Skinner's involvement at some point becomes inevitable. But I, I think that kind of the, the bigger level, like this thing blowing back up, I think comes as a pretty big surprise to the viewer. Like you, you're kind of so focused on the personal level of like, you know, Skinner's involvement. That when it's like, oh shit, like the whole thing kind of blew up and now like there's a hospital full of kids with smallpox and it's it kind of does this great job of going from like very small, tight, personal to kind of very quickly at the end pushing into this like big, you know, the big epic mythology level. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's. Yeah, every step of the way that we kind of see these little failures, like you talked about, this breakdown in in how effective the cover-up is. All those little things that they, they didn't get quite right. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, Skinner is kind of screwed here. But yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. Like that moment, like when the kids get attacked by the bees is like, I mean, now you've got a whole other situation on your hands because you've got a hospital full of kids that are infected and you know, you're going to have to deal with 
parents and community leaders and the school and the hospital staff. And I mean, it's just, that's a nightmare. Yeah. And it does, it it happens quick. And I think, like I I said, I I just think you're so, you're so sucked into the micro level that all of a sudden it's like, oh shit. And I think it, it does a good job of, you know, obviously this episode is about mythology, but we're looking at it such a micro level. And then it does this great job of segueing into like, okay, like this is, let's, let's refocus kind of coming out of this. Like we've, we've resolved this personal conflict between Mulder and Skinner. We've rebuilt that trust. You know, Skinner is, is safe, you know, at least in the immediate sense. But now we're back to like, okay, just what the fuck is the syndicate up to? And where, how, how is this going to go down? Right. Like how is this going to get How do you clean that up? Right. (laughs) You got like a, I mean, there's a whole town involved at this point. <laughs> yeah. Because by the way, hard to find every single B. <laughs> Come to find out. Yeah, that's challenging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those bees, those bees will get through. Uh, you know, unless uh, convince everybody to kill all the goddamn bees. Oh, they creep me out. Well, like the smallpox thing. Like I, if you like read a lot of history or you read a lot of like the classics, like you know, like classic literature like smallpox smallpox is it's really bad it's it's really really bad it's bad news bears it's really bad it's bad news bears so are, are, that's gnarly yeah it's it's funny it's still a thing that um like if you're in the military you get vaccinated from smallpox and uh i don't think i don't kids like born aren't vaccinated for smallpox anymore are they i have no idea I mean, I, I, I'm, they, they talk about in this episode as if like they're not because essentially smallpox was eradicated. And I, I think is eradicated, right? Besides, besides the fact that every, every powerful government in the world has fucking huge stockpiles of smallpox in their, yes. in their government labs. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, that aside, like, yeah, yeah. You get, you get shot full of like a ton of shit if you're in the military. And there's a little part of me that I always thought like, so, like I get, like obviously, you know, you, you know, you want to protect your your troops that are out there, but like, should we, should we maybe just vaccinate everybody for smallpox if you're that concerned about it? Like, why do we stop? You know, I and I was gonna look this up in preparation, and I didn't, and I wish I had because yeah, I was thinking like I don't have kids, so I don't have to deal with childhood inoculations. Like I don't know what they get vaccinated for these days. But I was curious because I was like, yeah, like I know it's been eradicated, but yeah, sometimes weird things like resurface somewhere or someone goes to some corner of the world and gets exposed to something, you know, that is yep. no longer an issue in, you know, in Europe or in North America, but is still an issue in other places. So yeah, I don't really know. And hey, not a doctor or an immunologist. So, well, according to my, 10 second internet search um, on the CDC website after smallpox was eliminated from the world routine vaccination against smallpox among, among general public was stopped because it was no longer needed however because of concerns that variola virus might be used as an agent of bioterrorism the US government has stockpiled enough smallpox vaccine to vaccinate everyone who okay. would need it if a smallpox outbreak were to occur well so they have it they're just not giving it to us that's good to yet. know I guess <laughs> but yeah so, you know, yeah, that's, so, you know, that's one of those diseases. I really, let's not bring that back. Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't, don't want to bring it back. Don't want to put no. it in bees. No, let's not do let's all not that. Do that. that and leprosy, leprosy freaks me out. 
Ugh, God. Yeah. No. What a what a bummer. No, thank you. <laughs> Pieces your body rotten oh, away. That's no, 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 no. Pretty high up there. Pretty high up there. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, I'm just going to insert a listener comment in here, just really quick, just, just because. Please. <laughs> oh man, because it's 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 apropos of this smallpox conversation. <laughs> Let me pull this up real quick. Oh yeah. So George Enriquez Jr. said, "There's probably worse ways to go." <laughs> I don't know. Is there I don't George? Know. <laughs> I, don't know about I that, think George. He's being, maybe he's being sarcastic. <laughs> I think so too. Um, I hope so. Being mauled by a swarm of bees and then getting oh, smallpox getting if smallpox. you survive. Oh. <laughs> no, no. I like it. Yeah. So, um, well, before we get to kind of you know our our few little final segments since i've been kind of bogarting the the topic pointer is there a stuff that you want to uh any any stuff that we didn't really hit on that you want to want to jump into on this one? Oh, good question so this episode ends rather abruptly it, it isn't neatly wrapped up in a bow how do you mm. feel about the way this episode ends well it's funny because i finished it and i was like is this a two-parter and it's not. It's not. I, 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 cause it's not, I, I wouldn't call it necessarily a cliffhanger. Not really. But it's, but it's close. Yeah. It's it, like I on mean, the edge. Like your toes are over yeah. the edge. I think, I think I like that part of it. I think I'll, I'll kind of go back to what I said about, I like that it refocuses on this bigger picture. And I like leaving. I think it leaves you. I think it leaves you wanting more mythology. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's yeah. What do you think? I, I like it too. And and as many times as I've seen this episode over the years, I always have that feeling like, oh, the next episode. And then I go, wait, this isn't a two parter. But I I I like the way it's done in this episode. It doesn't feel unfinished. Like this was hasty. It feels like. This story, this conspiracy is too large to wrap up in one episode or two episodes. Like this is this is a long game conspiracy. This whole the whole B thing. Yeah. And so, so I like that it it kind of ends here and it's it's like the ellipses like like it's not this story isn't finished, but it's not going to have an immediate conclusion. It's too big for that. I like that. I like that. And I'm going to there in general i was i was kind of peeking a little bit and this episode received mostly mostly good reviews but there was one uh paula vitaris writing for cinefantastique Cinefas- oh. gave it one and a half stars what? out of 4 and said it's pacing and tone are off and i couldn't fucking disagree more yeah in particular the pacing I think the pacing, how can I put this? The pacing changes pretty dramatically or pretty drastically throughout the episode in terms of, you know, you spend 14 minutes watching every detail of, of Skinner's, you know, going through this, this cover up, you know, minus cold open. And then you spend, I don't know what it is, five minutes suddenly like escalating this, you know, mythology and open-ended conspiracy to a bigger level. But I, I think that's actually 
you know, it's, it's not inconsistent. It's a ramping up and I think it's fucking great. And I think it does, it leaves you wanting more. It leaves you very interested in where this mythology is going. It's not, it's not inconsistent. It's not incoherent. It is, it is adding to the mystery. I think. No, I, I couldn't agree more. It's the pace. That's not like a mistake or an in, like, or an inconsistency, uh, you know, because they had, you know, they lacked oversight. It serves the story. The pace yeah. is helping to tell the story. Like we need to have that, that slower step by step by step pace in the beginning in order to, like you said, make us complicit in what Skinner's doing and like feel the weight of what it means to participate in that cover up. And, and I love that, you know, as the episode progresses, as the events progress and he's getting closer to getting found out, like, yeah, the pace does ramp up and it's, it reminds me of like, I don't know, like, you know, like it's like a snowball or like a boulder on a hill, like, it starts out kind of yeah. slow, but it picks up fast as you get closer to the bottom. And I think that makes sense for the way this story plays out. Yeah. I mean, f- f- like like I keep saying, 14 minutes to fucking clean a bathroom, basically, yeah. right? And and then these moments of like a whole fucking town is infected with smallpox from bees and this powerful syndicate that we've only gotten glimpses of that is orchestrating this at, at some level. Because we didn't even mention like obviously – you know the the episode shows us that this they get to the bottom of the fact that this all happened because a package was was damaged, was damaged. in in transit <laughs> right because if you're part of the most powerful syndicate in the world and you need to transport a key part of your conspiracy you send that shit by fucking UPS right like you don't have a courier you don't have a courier really <laughs> come on man <laughs> You can send send people to fucking sit in parking lots and wait to fucking kill cops, but you can't put a dude in a car to drive the goddamn bee package or or package it better, like like pack it properly. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get that scene. We didn't get the scene of like some pimp lead fucking teen <laughs> wrapping up this this thing. He's like the minimum wage minion in, right. in the fucking syndicate, and like just chucking it in the back of a van, like. <laughs> Getting banged around yeah. like, like when you see those videos of, of people mistreating your airline right. fucking <laughs> luggage. <laughs> you know, that means and just that's smallpox. That's why you can't pull there. off a conspiracy. Yeah. Yeah. There's just smallpox. That's in there. always what I've said. When I argue with people about conspiracies, I'm like, well, you have to realize about any conspiracy, think about the lowest level person involved, and that's why it gets fucked up. Right. 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 Because either they tell or if they don't tell because they have enough information, they fuck it up inadvertently. Yeah. In any criminal right. enterprise. Like, yes. Yes. Like, the person who, like, the people that say, like, oh, there was a fucking, it was a missile or whatever that was shot into the Pentagon at 9-11. It wasn't really a plane. You know, there's some super <laughs> low-ranking fucking dude who has to do, like, a a check on the armory mm-hmm. every day, and, and he's not going to be like, hey, there's a giant fucking bomb missing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, totally. No I, to I remember back in the 90s, like the 80s and 90s, when conspiracy theories were still kind of fun, like where it was just entertainment. 
<laughs> oh yeah. And it wasn't dominating our fucking right. society. It was, and it was like really fun to like just geek out on this kind of stuff. And, and I think that's one of the things that I really love about the early mythology is, is that yeah. like, we all get to be like Max, you know? Yeah. For a minute. Rest in peace, Max. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Oh, well, before we get to our kind of final thoughts and three stars, anything else you want to jump onto? Uh, no, I think, I mean, I think we covered pretty much everything. Yeah. We danced around here and there, yeah. but I think, I think we hit, I think we fucking hit the wickets. On I think this we one. did. Oh, one heartwarming moment. Viewers will notice a dedication at the end of this episode in loving memory of Vito J. Pileggi. And that's, uh, Mitch Pileggi's father. So this episode was dedicated to his dad. Oh, that shit. I, I actually put that in the notes and I forgot to look up who that was. Obviously, I knew it was related. Yeah. And I now realize I'm saying Mitch Pileggi. It's Pileggi? I think so. I should fucking know that. I'm, I'm my grandfather, 100% Italian. I mean, I could I'm, be he's wrong. Fucking, he's spinning in his grave right now. I keep saying Pileggi. No, Pileggi. I think it's probably. I think. Probably don't right. quote me on that. I don't know. Italian is close Did enough to Spanish at- that I pick up a word or here to there, but it's not. Yeah. I don't speak you, Italian. You people of the Mediterranean, right? Those those romance <laughs> languages. We got some. Dean's a fucking Iberian. If he was here, he would be. He would be double teaming <laughs> me on this one. <laughs> fucking guys, both be blasting me. <laughs> Did he? Um, did you? I don't know if you looked up. Did he pass like recently I, when this I, episode was it, aired? I didn't see that it it said like how how soon after or soon before. But I mean, I'm, I'm guessing I'm it must have been right kind now. of recent. He father of actor Mitch Pileggi. Um, he died 1993. Oh, so I guess a bit bef- a little bit before this, but um. Probably just he was a first sergeant in the U.S. Army World oh, War II. Pretty cool. Nice. I wonder if uh, I wonder if that's probably a, if your if your dad was fucking in World War II and you you're playing like a a war veteran as as Mitch is. That's yeah. probably kind of a a personal touch. Yeah, I'm sure. that's meaningful. I love his dad's like name. That. He's got he's named after you know he's named like the Godfather. Vito. I love it. I love it. <clears throat> All right, so. Where does this episode fall for you? This is a love. On on, this is a love. It's a love. It's for a me. love for me as well. Yay! You know, without looking at a at a list, just from the top of my head, this is probably the only Scully list love episode I can think of. I mean, not that there's a ton of them, but there's a few. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. That's uh. That's fucking. That's an impressive pull. Oh, definitely. By, by the by the by the showrunners, by everybody involved, to to make an episode that you know diehard fucking viewers like you and I come out loving without you know the character who I, I mean I'll just say Scully's my favorite character ed, edges out Mulder slightly, and with with not just like she you know not in it much literally. Don't fucking see her, don't hear her once. And to still love the episode, that's that's pretty impressive. It is. I agree. I like that. All right. Well, um, you read a listener comment. Um, we've got a couple other on here. Yeah. Um, there was a enthusiastic response on Facebook to your <laughs> being on the show. 
I think more more likes and hearts than we've ever gotten to a show Aww, announcement. Thanks, guys. And yet less comments. So how I'm reading into that is that the viewers are more excited about you being on and apparently think that you need less material to work with than Dean and I do. No, so, no, that's not that's, what it is. Well, that has to be what it is. Maybe, I mean, maybe <laughs> it could be they too heard the title Zero Sum and they're like, what episode is that? <laughs> And like Sorry. we're trying to Very like nice to jog say. their memory, and so they didn't. Maybe they just didn't get around to rewatching the episode in time to leave comments. There's Fair no enough. substitute for you well, guys. And I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this right now. I, you know, I just kept the seat warm. There's no substitute for Dean. And if it was the other way around, and you were taking a vacation, there would be no substitute for you. This show doesn't happen without you guys. Well, it's very and nice we love, you and say. we love what you do. I'm going to, I mean, normally I wouldn't speak for other people, but I think I can, I I think that our listeners, my fellow listeners will agree. We love you guys. We love what you do. No substitute. This is a big, happy hug out end of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will read, I've got a couple good comments here. I'm going to read one from Sir Thumb, the one and only from across the pond. This, because this is very cool. Because I thought as soon as you said, you know, you talked about having watched live from the first um, first episode, but you talked about being into the mythology from the get go. Sir Thom says this was the first episode I ever saw. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. Like, I mean, because I think it is a very memorable episode. But imagine watching your first episode of the X Files that is this far into mythology. Yeah. With no Scully, like it's kind of nuts. So let me actually get back to what he's saying. Um, First episode I ever saw, I think it was around 12 years old, and I had no idea what was going on. Where the hell was the Scully character I'd heard so much about? I remember thinking the episode was cool, but it probably wasn't the best entry point to the show. Afterwards, I caught random episodes here and there, but made no attempt to watch the show in its entirety until I went to university. The bees, though? Well, those fuckers have stayed with me ever since. (laughs) And if I'm ever in a public bathroom and I see one, I'll make sure it's a quick visit. Oh, it's a love, by the way. Same, Um, Tom. Same. Yeah, I, I I do agree. It's a it's a it's a love, but this is definitely one that you need you need a lot of context for this one. Yeah, this I it's hard to imagine what that must have been like. He was twelve I mean, years like old, fucking... twelve years old, first time <laughs> watching the X Files, and you're like, who the hell are these people? What is this? Right. You need. I mean, not only need the background on the mythology, like <clears throat> from from like plot reasons, but. I mean, you know nothing about these characters. You hardly see Mulder. You see no Scully. You don't know who the fuck, like, Skinner is. So, yeah, a, t- a tough jumping in point. But, you know, uh, it was enough to at least get the hooks in them. Yes. So I think there's there's still enough cool moments in the episode and tension. I think it's it's well orchestrated enough that, uh, well, it caught it caught th- Sir Thom. I'm, so. I'm glad he came back. He came back to it. Yes. <laughs> well, I will read our other comment, the only other like comment comment, which is from considerable. Yes, from Mike and the only other one that wasn't like yay. Yeah. <laughs> which we love those two. Thank you guys. Uh, so Mike Angulari says, and I'm sure I just butchered your last name. Sorry, Mike. Mikey Manera. Um, excellent episode. We get to see how sadistic CSM can be when he gets to exert power over someone directly. He's been waiting with bated breath to get Skinner. 
after unsuccessfully trying to have him killed ruin his life in season three. Watching Skinner jump through hoops for CSM is like watching a bomb and waiting for it to explode. He's seething by the end of it. It culminates into one of the most badass scenes when he threatens CSM with his gun. And for just a second, you actually think he kills him. Here, here, Mikey. I'm with you. I always think after we read some good listener comments, I'm like, yep, that wrapped up what I just talked about for a fucking hour and 10 minutes. <laughs> In one paragraph. People are here to enjoy the ride. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, so it's fine. It's fine. Thanks for the well, comments, guys. As our, yes, thank you guys. Um, as our guest, uh, why don't you, why don't you give us your three stars first? All right. Okay. So yeah, I didn't go with my my third star is not the little boy with the glasses. I was tempted, but I'm not going to do that. Honorable mention. Honorable mention. Honorable mention. Uh, for number three, I'm going with Howard Gordon. He was the co-writer on this episode with Frank Spotnitz. And he wrote the Avatar episode, our previous Skinner episode, which is why they brought him on to help write this one. And I'm, I believe that this is his last contribution to the X-Files. Hmm. I think. So... So I'm going with with Howard because I I love right. I love when you have a writer who like gets a character and they bring them back to help write episodes where that character cool. is the center. I like that. So Howard for number three. Yeah. Uh, number two, Kim Manners. Like that whole sequence that we I mean we sang its praises quite a bit. Like the whole sequence in the beginning. Like just there's a lot of great shots in here. Um, you know tight shots on the face so we really see like the internal struggle just a lot of cool a lot of cool stuff from kim manners this week and then number one i mean there can only be one mitch pelleggi as tidy whities tidy whities and all yeah i mean he he killed it like you know skinner is a man of few words and and in some of those scenes like he's alone he's not talking but just so much comes through his performance like we get like where he's at and how he's feeling. And sometimes you can just, you can see the wheels turning, like his thought process without him even having to say a word. So I, I think he yes. rocks it. And yes, he looks real good in those briefs. <laughs> real good. Very nice. Um, all right. So at least we're not, we're not dead on. So I, um, I'm going to give number three to, uh, Cigarette Smoking Man. Nice. And Jesus Christ, what's his name? William B. Davis. William B. Davis. Um, I just love the fucking, the smugness. Yeah. I love, I love just how awful and evil he is. I love how much I like to watch this guy I hate on screen. And that takes, that takes some serious chops from an actor. And, you know, and obviously like the writer's involvement, but but to take a vile character and to make it an enjoyable watch, I think is uh, is good skill. And man, we we mentioned it in the very first fucking uh, episode of of this podcast. Well, the first one that you'll see in order in the feed. But you know, he was thrown in to the pilot as just a, a one off. I just want a a creepy guy fucking standing in the back who might be indicative of something. And to see that character go from this to to fucking where he is now is is very cool. So no, he's amazing. Um, some great moments. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this too. Like this is like for real acting. At that same convention where I saw Mitch Pelleggi, I also saw William B. Davis, 
And he was like the most gentle, soft-spoken, like grandfatherly man. (laughs) So all of that, all of that sadistic smirking, like, like that's acting. That man can act. Yeah, that's fucking great. I did see, um, it was probably around that same time. You said 2016. Mm -hmm. It was somewhere around then. I went to Providence Comic Con and Mitch Pileggi was there. Nice. And uh, I got a good picture of him, and I'll I'll pretend not to um, fucking have that picture in a very special place. But <laughs> <laughs> me arms over the shoulders, and he fucking still looked great. Yes, but I don't think William B. Davis was at that one. But so that's uh, number three. William B. Davis as CSM. Um, number two, uh, I like that you put Howard Gordon. I'm gonna put Chris Carter, who's. He's also credited as a writer, even though Howard Gordon and Frank Spotnitz are also there as writers. So maybe I'm giving the nod to Chris Carter. But I think Chris Carter has gotten so much shit. <laughs> he has. And, and, and sometimes that <laughs> I, I think I want to give him the tip of the cap because whether it's writing, whether it's whatever, everything good we had to say about this episode beyond individual performances, I think the credit should go right to the showrunner to take this episode that's scullyless, that is – you know, four seasons into mythology and to make it so fucking good. Um, I think it's, I think it's masterful that between the writing, the production of it, I'm glad you put Kim Manners out there too, as a director, because I do think this is a great looking episode. Um, I think the way it shot really contributes to the tension, all the close-ups, you know, all those nice tight reactions on, on Skinner's face. A lot of good shit there. And then you still get some, you know, pretty cinematic, like that top down B attack. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I got to go the same number one star, uh, Mitch Pileggi's Cannoli, right? <laughs> got him in the tidy whiteness. So I mean, he's just so is. good. He's just so good. There could he's, the, so good. He's, he's the focal point of this. And like you mentioned earlier, like it really is from his point of view. This entire episode is really from his perspective. And so for, for it to come off as a love for it to be as good as it is, that, that doesn't happen if he doesn't bring his a game. And he absolutely did. Yeah. And I'll, I'll give an honorable mention to David company just cause I part, I feel a little bit bad <laughs> to have <laughs> one of the main actors out of the show. You're the other main actor and you still don't make the fucking three stars. I mean, I think he's good. And, you know, you he's know. classic Mulder, like dog on the bone, like just chasing this fucking thing down. But you know, I just, I, I just don't think he has that much to do in the episode. Yeah, no, I mean, but, Mulder's but he, one of my, I mean, I think Mulder is my favorite character. I'm one of those people. And it's not just because right, of the speedo. It's not just because of the speedo. I promise you. <laughs> but yeah, right, like fair. in this episode, as as good as Mulder is, as good as Duchovny is in those scenes that he's in and, and his back and forth with Skinner and then playing off of each other. No, this is... This is Skinner's show yeah. this week. Yeah. And that's not that's not just a knock on Duchovny. That's no. you know, the episode is definitely set up and, and it puts the weight on Pledge yes. and, and he delivers. And that's that's why he and his cannoli are our number one stars. Yes. Um and uh, another honorable mention to uh Marita for just being smoking hot yeah. and sultry and interesting. I mean she's so. all of those things. All those things. <laughs> Well, there we are. There we are, Carmelita. We've we've come to the end. And, um, well, you know, fair listener, um, 
we'll see. Uh, we'll see. I know Dean is returning in, in February. Perhaps, not to put you on the spot, but perhaps we, uh, you might want to jump in on one more. I would love depending to. Depending on the timing of that. Yeah, I would love okay. to do that. We're just, we're All keeping right. the seat warm. I like it. I like it a lot. Well, I've never gotten to do this before. Uh-oh. But I'm going to do it now. Oh, no. No, I'm not ready. <laughs> you should have known. No, no pressure. Damn it. Okay. It could just be a nice little send-off. But in the spirit, the spirit of the X-Files podcast, Carmelita, bid these good people adieu. I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> this is really hard. Okay, give Josh credit. This is hard. He always comes up with something witty. <laughs> and I'm like, like, I don't even know. Just tell, Bye, guys. tell him you love him. I love you guys. <laughs> trust no one. That's it. Well, trust no one. And we'll see you back next time. You've been listening to the X-Files podcast by LSG Media. Visit us on the web at libertystreetgeek.net. That's libertystreetgeek.net.